Ready? Okay. Action. I deliberately asked John to let me go last, and I deliberately didn't plan a talk because I wanted to see what people were going to say so that I could sort of riff off that, and that's what I'm going to do. And it's been a good choice because, boy, what a nice day full of full of ideas. Uh, and I want to try to talk about something. I wouldn't be able to do this if we hadn't had all these talks before, which sort of um, paved the way very nicely for it. Um, think for a moment about a, a termite colony uh, or, an, or an ant colony. Uh, amazingly competent in many ways, can do all sorts of things, treat, it, treat the whole entity as a, as a sort of cognitive agent, and it, it, it accomplishes all sorts of quite impressive behavior. But if I ask you, what is it like to be a termite colony? I think most people say, it's not like anything. Uh, well, now let's look at a brain. Uh, let's look at a human brain. Oh, uh, 100 billion neurons, roughly speaking. And each one of them is uh, dumber than a termite. And they're all sort of semi-independent. And if you stop and think about it, they're all direct descendants of free-swimming unicellular organisms that fended for themselves for a billion years on their own. So there's a lot of competence, a lot of can-do in their background, in their ancestry, and now they're trapped in the skull. And they may well have sort of agendas of their own. They have competences of their own. No two are alike. And now the question is, how does a uh, a brain inside a head, how is it any more integrated, any more capable of there being something it is like to be that than a termite colony? Uh, uh, and what can we do with our brains that that a, the termite colony couldn't do, or maybe that many animals couldn't do? Um, and it seems to me that we do actually know some of the answer and it has to do with what mainly Fiery was talking about. Um, it, it's the importance of the cultural niche and the cognitive niche. And in particular, I would say you couldn't have the cognitive niche without the cultural niche because it depends on the cultural niche. So what I'm working on these days is to try to figure out in a very speculative way, but uh, as anchored as I can to whatever people think they know right now about the relevant fields, how culture could prune, tame, organize, structure brains to make language possible and then to make higher cognition and reason and so forth possible on top of that. And if you ask the chicken-egg question which came first? Did we first get real smart so then then we could have culture? Or did we get culture and that enabled us to become smart? The answer to that is yes. It's both. It's a co-evolutionary process. And what particularly interests me about that is uh, I'm now thinking about culture and its role in creating the human mind as a process which begins very Darwinian and becomes less Darwinian as time goes by. This is the de-Darwinizing of cultural change in the world. Our ancestors, at the very early days of proto-language and language, they were pretty clueless. 
And they were not adopting language because they could see what it was good for even. It was a sort of invasion. And But once they had these words, this gave them competences they didn't have before, and they began to be able to do things that they couldn't do before. And their brains became structured in ways that brains never were structured before. And so what you see is that instead of thinking of human culture the way the people in the traditional social sciences and in the humanities want to see it as, you know, high culture, art and science and religion and literature, uh, and they're treating all of these as treasures that we bestow on our, our descendants and that we maintain and that we preserve and we have reasons for this that exists many of the trends and stabilities and patterns we see in the world of human culture are well explained by a sort of economic model um, we value these things we treasure them we trade them we buy them we sell them we put money and time into maintaining them and so forth and so on that exists that level exists but that's just the most recent area of most recent period of cultural history. It wasn't like that when our ancestors were first beginning to get the benefits of human culture. Now, if you look at it this way, then one of the nice things for this is that uh, it means that I can still cling to my one of my favorite ideas, the idea of a meme, and say where the meme's eye point of view really works and really is needed is in the early days. The best example of memes are words. Words are memes that can be pronounced. That's their genus and species. And words came into existence not because they were invented, and languages came into existence not because they were designed by intelligent human designers, but they are brilliantly designed, and they're designed by cultural evolution in the same way that the bird's wing and the, and, the, and, and the eye of the eagle are designed by genetic evolution. And you can't explain human competence all in terms of genetic evolution. You need cultural evolution as well. And that cultural evolution is profoundly Darwinian in the early days. And as time has passed, it has become more and more non-Darwinian. Um, uh, I have an example that, that I use uh, uh, when I'm writing about this. Well, two examples. Um, uh, one is uh, Turing's computer. If ever there was a top-down designed thing, that's it. I mean, they would not have given him the money to build the, the, the Manchester computer if he didn't have proof of concept and drawings. This was this was the ideas, the understanding preceding the, the physical reality. Just the opposite of, say, a termite colony, which is bottom-up designed, and although it's brilliantly designed, it's a product of little entities that are themselves uh, non-comprehending, and, and, but, but very competent in very limited ways. So what we want to think of is a space. Peter Godfrey Smith's book has some wonderful diagrams, these three-dimensional spaces, and if I could use a diagram, I'd have it up. 
you think of of uh, this three dimensional this cube, and in the uh, 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 lower left hand corner we have the early days of culture, which is profoundly Darwinian, and that means very little understanding, no really no understanding required at all. Um, uh, no, uh, a very broad search space. So it's it's a lot of randomness, a lot of trial and error, very little uh, 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 intelligence or comprehension coming in anywhere, and where um, uh, order is uh, local, not global. What do we put up in the other in the in the back right hand corner? We put. Turing and Gaudi and Einstein and Picasso where there's a phrase of Picasso's which I love to use because it perfectly epitomizes that that extreme he, he famously said, said once <coughs> je ne cherche pas je trouve I don't search I find perfect expression of the hypergenius Bingo! He just goes right to the optimal solution just like that. No grubby trial and error, no messing around. He's just the perfect genius, goes right to the right in for the kill. Baloney. That, that, <laughs> he, was, he was bragging, it was a brilliant brag, absolutely not true of him, not true of anybody. So if we have Picasso up in that corner, along with Turing and Shakespeare and Einstein and those people, and and truly Darwinian evolution down, uh, cultural evolution, not genetic evolution, down in the lower left-hand corner. What's in the middle? That's where most of our lives exist in uh, what I like to think of as foible manipulation. We are imperfect, kludgy, semi-comprehending agents who are both in cooperation and in competition exploiting the flaws that we discover in each other's kludgy operation. So that we, uh, well, think of this. Have you ever played in a chess game where you made a move and only later realized what a smart move it was, <laughs> but not admitted <laughs> you know, you were just lucky, but you've got a le- great rationalization for it later. I think that phenomenon is actually ubiquitous. That a great deal of the behavior that we engage in, a great deal of the very well-designed behavior that we engage in, we only think we understand, we only think we have to understand. We, in fact, have only very limited understanding of it and don't need to have the understanding that tradition would say we have. There's this humanistic tradition which says this godlike mind is required to explain the adroitness with which we get through the world and the wonderfulness of our institutions. No. The wonderfulness of our institutions can be, to a surprising degree, explained with the same Darwinian mechanisms that we explain the wonderfulness of the design of organisms. Namely, there's a long, long history of trial and error, and the features that we have today in culture that we prize are not the products of human genius, they're products of 
a Darwinian trial and error process going on in culture over years, which we we like to think we invented ourselves, but we are more the beneficiaries than the creators of those structures. Applying that then to the to the human mind, I think that's what a human mind is. It's a uh, an organization which is not just evolved uh, genetically, but that basically what what happens is bringing up a child in a social world, what you're doing is installing thousands of apps in the and meta apps and apps on top of apps on the hardware of the brain, which is profoundly unlike the hardware of your iPhone because it's made of all those billions of obstreperous neurons. And the trick is to see how the installation of cultural apps on this hardware takes place. But I think we know that. I think we know something about that, too. Um, how am I doing for time? Use up my time. Uh, five or ten minutes. Oh, I'm, okay, I'll take another minute or so. I don't know if you've seen Deb Roy's uh, spectacular work on the, the Human Speech Home Project, where he got this <coughs> tremendous data set of his own son's uh, learning language. And what he can now answer is, on average, how many times had a particular word of English been spoken in Davin's presence before Davin started trying to say the word and it's not very many, it's about five and uh, many interesting uh, uh, patterns emerge and are beginning to emerge from that data set now, but if you think about it remember, a word is a meme how do you install a meme? well, the first time the kid hears it, it's just a sound second time the kid hears it it's a somewhat familiar sound, and maybe there's something about the context that's the same. Third time the kid hears it, a little bit more. Pretty soon, by a process of gradual installation, a structure gets established, a little tiny microhabit in the brain, which is then available to be exploited in various ways. And of course, not always well. Uh, somebody mentioned the Stroop test earlier today. A Stroop test is a perfect example of where, where you have all these apps in your head that you can't turn off, and they are firing. Uh, uh, the words are, you're reading the words, you're saying the words, you can't, you can't prevent this app from firing. Uh, and normally it's a good thing that it fires, but here's a case where, where there's interference. Um, The first talk we heard um, discussed, no, it was Fiery's talk, which was discussing uh, the relationship between sort of controlled cognition and, and habit and, and the sort of uh, uh, brute associations and so forth. And I think he was on the right track there. He was talking about um, how, what the high-level controlling mind is 
is a patchwork of kludges made up of the exploitations of the underlying habits, some of which are genetically encoded, but most of which are themselves uh, acquired by uh, basically Pavlovian mechanisms early in childhood. Uh, I'll stop there. Thank you. Couple of quick questions. Nobody's started. Um, yeah. I'm struggling to understand the interaction between the cultural component and the things that are more, I don't know what to call it, more intrinsic to the mind. And I think it'd just be helpful. An example that's going through my head is this is a fact from child language development, which is that if you look at, say, children learning to use the word, say, that children to refer to multiple you know, pluralizations. Yeah. But pluralizations that are awkward, like children rather than child. Yeah. What you see is you see that early on they get it right. Yeah. Then they go through a period when they they've they've discovered some system and now they're over systematizing and, right. and then they say child for a while until yeah, they want the exceptions again. Hold it and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. And then they get back. Yeah. And it, that that dip is intriguing because it feels like the meaning of the word, sort of the copycatting, feels good for the first part, but the rule learning feels less. Perhaps some adults said that, hey, this is how you form it, but it feels more like, at least my understanding literature, that's a rule that's just inducted by the, by the child at some primitive level, which is an interesting interface between while the culture is giving some things, the brain and all of our brains are discovering this other thing. Is that, I'm trying to understand how you think of those kind of interfaces. It feels like not everything can be coming from the outside, something is. Uh, I'm a, uh, myself inclined to be a real renegade about this and, and say that the, the innate components of the language acquisition device have been hugely overestimated mm-hmm. and that uh, uh, what's really happening is that for reasons we don't yet understand um, There really are um, optimal solutions to certain sorts of communicative problems that are discovered by by uh, exploration. I mean, take the Nicaraguan sign language, where where you have these this brand new language which gets more grammatical in a very short period of time. I don't think that shows us much about what's genetically encoded. I think it shows what happens when what's genetically encoded is an intense desire to communicate and uh, a circumstance where you have a bunch of kids running around who who have a lot of time on their hands. They're just they're playing and having fun and they're just being kids and they're very plastic, very labile and they're just exploring the heck out of out of the possibilities and they're turning their home sign into languages and patterns are being created in front of your eyes. And the fact that the patterns look very much like the patterns of, of actual natural languages uh, doesn't speak to the fact that there's an innate mechanism that's biased that way, but it speaks to the fact that it turns out that for, there's some reason why this is the efficient way of doing language. Um, that's, that's, I put it much too simple. But I think one ought to resist 
the um, innateness view more than is often the case. Um, because, after all, if you pass the buck to the biology and say, no, that's innate, then we want to know, and how did, mm-hmm. how did the innate uh, structures get genetically uh, uh, implanted in the brain? And there better be some answer in terms of how uh, the early, our ancestors' early explorations with language sort of drove them into these, into these patterns. So I think that uh, it's you know, with, with bird song, we have good examples, right? There's some bird song that is yep. innate, and the birds will produce the song yep. even if they're never exposed to it, and others mm-hmm. which are learned in different yep. similar species. So there, there's an example where we can actually distinguish, unlike the humans, between the two possibilities yep. and find evidence for both. Yep. And I suspect it's probably similar in human basic <coughs> language. So I don't think I think that you know we. It's, there are definitely going to be features of the mind which are important. Oh, sure. Of course there are. Of course there are. But just, I would say, a lot less than has been advertised. <laughs> and thank you. Thank all of you for coming. Long day. <laughs>